0: Welcome to Electric Sheep, the knitting podcast from Hoxton Handmade Episode 4, Winifred and Kathleen Hello to one and all and thank you very much for tuning in Um, Hopefully you can hear me clearly now I am now the proud owner of something called a sound card. I I have no real understanding of what it is or what it does but apparently it will mean that it's no longer necessary for me to shout at you in my living room to make myself heard and hopefully you won't have to crank your iPod up quite so loud. So what do I have in store for you this week? If you've been listening to earlier episodes of this podcast, you'll know that I've been quite preoccupied with being a young knitter in London and the strange reactions that can sometimes get you and how I'm often referred to as a grandma. And uh, it occurs to me that perhaps instead of looking at my generation, we should take a look at an earlier generation. And um, so we're going to be talking a bit about grandparents. Grandparents. At long last, half-term is over. It's now safe to venture outside and try and use public transport without being assaulted by a family of five and their two buggies. So I thought it an ideal time to look at one of my favourite places in London, the Victoria and Albert Museum. So clear your schedule for the next half hour. Unplug yourself from Twitter and Facebook. And get out your knitting for a few electric sheep. But before we get started this week, something of a personal request. Uh, According to the website that hosts this podcast for me um, uh, and makes it available for people to download, um, I have 33 listeners. Um, And they can't all be my mother. So I I would love to know who you are. Um, Some of you have been kind enough to give me some very useful feedback and some constructive criticism. Um, But if any of you, uh, any of the others would like to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. Um, I'm also really curious just as to how you found the podcast, if you don't know me and uh, I haven't made you listen to it at gunpoint. So um, do drop me a line, hoxtonhandmade at gmail.com or through the blog hoxtonhandmade.blogspot.com. Now, it occurs to me that my protests and rants against being labelled a knitting grandma might lead you to believe I have something against the older generation. For all I know, some tech-savvy knitting whiz in her 93rd year is listening into this podcast, scowling over her bifocals and plotting my demise. So I'd like to reassure you all that as far as I'm concerned, grandmas rock. Sadly, all my grandparents have been gone for many years – But, like most people, I still have a great affection and respect for people of that generation. These are people who fought wars, made jam, danced a mean foxtrot, and knew what the hell a clothes mangle was for. It may have been out of necessity more than choice, but these guys were masters of the handmaid. As you may have heard me mention before, it was my grandmother who taught me to knit. I can still picture her watching Countdown and knitting away furiously on an Aran sweater with tiny needles and no pattern. She barely glanced down at her work, and as she chuckled over Richard Whiteley's double entendres and Carol Vorderman's math skills, a complex jumper would almost magically take shape. This was Kathleen, a fairly formidable woman, but who could be guaranteed to make me laugh with a curious ornament that was a ceramic model of a monk's head. The unfortunate monk had a fly perched on the end of his nose, and by a discreet manipulation of a lever at the back, the fly would wriggle around, tickling the monk's face. You see, only grandparents have these bizarre kind of curios lying around, making a visit to see them a trip to Aladdin's cave. On the other side of my family, my great-grandmother was famous for making all her own clothes and those of half her relatives. As well as skirts and dresses, my mum can remember her making coats and swimming costumes. My great-aunt Phyllis was a milliner by trade and also made her own clothes. And my mum has always been a dab hand with a sewing machine herself, running up curtains, blinds, cushions and bed covers. But my maternal grandmother, Winifred, didn't tend to follow this handmade tradition. Apparently my grandfather would complain about the noise of the needles, so she put her knitting aside. This being before bamboo solved many a marital dispute. The things we do for love. Although actually, I don't think she was ever that keen on the knitting. But she loved clothes, and was always beautifully and elegantly dressed. For previous generations, sewing and knitting made sense. Apart from anything else, store-bought clothes and furnishings were expensive. Now that we can stock our wardrobes from Primark and Tesco, it's the handmaid that has become the luxury item. From market stalls to hidden boutiques, we crave the authenticity and uniqueness of one-off designs. We scour second-hand shops for vintage pieces no one else will have. For a girl on a budget like me, a dress for a tenner can be a lifesaver and a relatively guilt-free splurge. But you can guarantee you'll see half a dozen people on the tube wearing one just like it. I was in India recently, relaxing on the beach with a glass of wine... What can I say? Life is hard. When a fellow tourist walked past, wearing the exact dress I had bought in London the week before. Along with the fashion faux pas, there are also the ethical considerations that come from mass-market products. And even if you avoid the sweatshops by making it yourself, there's still the question of where your fabric or yarn actually originated from and how it was produced. So, modern clothing and shopping may provide a lot of options – But are we any better off than those who used to make their own as a matter of course? Personally, I miss the variety and elegance of clothes from the first half of the 20th century. I love hats, but these days it seems you can only get away with them if you're an art student being deeply ironic and or pretentious, or if you're going to a wedding. Gloves are equally fabulous, and there was something otherworldly about going into a shop in Italy that sold nothing but gloves in every colour and material and style you could think of and, of course, in a variety of sizes for the perfect fit. Most women retain an almost unhealthy obsession with shoes or bags or both. Imagine the possibilities if hats and gloves were thrown back in too. These days I satisfy my love of hats and gloves through my knitting and they remain the easiest way to liven up the most boring and practical of outfits. My Brother Once Gave Me for Christmas, The Guide to Elegance, by Genevieve Dario. Originally published in 1964, it's a wonderful encyclopedia of Parisian chic that seems to have been written from another planet. I love the assumptions that the author makes, that naturally I do my shopping at the fashion salon, that I lead a life that requires me to change outfits at least every four hours in the course of a day, and that I am frequently invited to cocktail parties, luncheons and weekends away in the country. Winifred would have had a lot to discuss with Madame Dario. Personally, I think I would have driven the French author to distraction, since I change clothes depending on my mood rather than my social calendar. Although I would have enjoyed the sense of being a radical deviant, simply for wearing jeans or dangly earrings in the daytime. Kathleen was rather more practically minded when it came to clothes, but who managed to give me one of my most treasured childhood outfits. A bright red knitted jumper with my name emblazoned across the front of it. Family photos show I wasn't the only one she kitted out in hand-knits. One particular shot, taken before I was born, shows my parents, my older brother and my aunt and uncle, all sitting along a sofa, all wearing matching cream Aran sweaters and all laughing themselves silly. But for all the nostalgia of clothing etiquette and the thrill of dressing like an extra in Gosford Park, There's no denying the reality must have been fairly tedious at times. Modern wardrobes have moved on from this sense of formality, and there are few occasions where there really are rules about what you can and cannot wear. Nowadays, more than ever, clothes form an integral part of our identities, the way we choose to display ourselves to those around us. And while this freedom can be a lot of fun, the overwhelming choice of clothes and accessories, flies in the face of the waste-not-want-not attitude most of our grandparents had. We live in a society that values youth above all. From Botox to fitness regimes, MySpace to computer games, you can stay 25 for decades. The idea of growing old gracefully seems to have fallen by the wayside. But there are times when this obsession with eternal youth doesn't seem to be quite as bad as we fear. Firstly, there's the resurgence of so-called old-fashioned pursuits, whether it's knitting or strictly come dancing. A recognition that there are some skills and traditions that are fun and rewarding and worth learning to do well. Then there are the members of the older generation who simply refuse to engage with the Plastic Fantastic Brigade and look all the better for it. Think of the men my age who find Helen Mirren and Jane Seymour sexy. Think of the infamous tale of Colin Farrell trying to seduce Eileen Atkins. Well, all right, don't think about it too closely, but you can see the point I'm making. And then there are the so-called silver surfers, who are happy to join the internet revolution and refuse to believe that certain trends, fashions or accessories are only for the young. Without trying to chase a teenage lifestyle, they simply use these things in their own way and on their own terms. From grandpas posting videos on YouTube... knitting grandmas using blogs and Ravelry. No, not me, I mean the actual grandmas. And this is something that enriches the experience for everyone. For the majority of people, grandparents are treasured, often simply for the way they let you get away with all the things your parents won't, or just for spoiling you rotten. But also for having an almost secret knowledge of things that seem exotic and obscure when you're a child. From card games to cooking recipes, building the perfect den to teaching you a rude rhyme. There are certain things only a grandparent can tell you. So when people tell me I'm a grandma, really it's a huge compliment. I should be proud of the fact that people seem to think I already qualify for this important role. And it's true that I have quite a few card games up my sleeve, along with a few party tricks, an excellent den building technique, and the secret to the perfect apple crumble. My family still has some of those Aran sweaters my grandmother knitted. A beautiful piece of hand knitting really can become an heirloom, or at least something that more than one member of the family can wear and love over the years. For me, there is something special in the connection knitting gives me to my grandmother. That sense of a craft that has been passed on. Handmade items generally are things that older people often appreciate more than the young, having a better sense of the time, skill and sheer bloody effort that probably went into making it. Our modern throwaway culture can lead to knitters feeling vastly underwhelmed at the reactions of those who receive their knitting as a gift. Not because these people are particularly rude or ungrateful, but because they simply don't get it. My grandmothers would have got it. They would have loved it. And I confess to feeling rather sad that neither of them lived to see my knitting obsession evolve. I wish I could have made them something. But instead it will have to be enough that I often think of them as I knit, a TARDIS-like effect that can seem to move through time. Both the act of knitting, and the knitted object itself, can slow down a speeding world and are far more lasting than the transient distractions that seem to take up so much of our time. It's worth remembering sometimes that with the best things in life, faster is rarely better. Which reminds me, I really must ask my mum to teach me how to make jam. And so to the Victoria and Albert Museum. Um, I imagine if you live in London or Britain generally, you've probably been there at some point, even if only on a school trip. If you haven't been for a while or if you've never been, I urge you to go. It's just fabulous. Um, it's uh, uh, over in Kensington, um, it's beautiful uh, and uh, like all of the brilliant museums and art galleries in London, it's free to get in, so to see all the, the, the main permanent exhibits, it's completely free, it's brilliant, it's one of the things I love about London. Um, and it's fantastic, it's, it's, uh, it's the Museum of Art and Design primarily. Um, And they have a staggering number of collections, um, covering pretty much everything you can think of. Um, They cover 3,000 years' worth of artefacts in here. Um, And they cover everything from ceramics to furniture to fashion to jewellery to photographs, um, sculpture, textiles and paintings. Um, And the building really is beautiful. I can also highly recommend the cafe they have. it's in this amazing room that looks like something out of a Merchant Ivory film. And at the weekends, they have um, a, a guy in there who plays... At the, uh, uh, there's a grand piano in the cafe, obviously, as you do. And uh, this this guy plays away the most amazing pieces that just bounce off this very high, very decorated ceiling. And um, it's great fun. The last time I was there, um, my family, we, we took my mum there for Mother's Day. Brilliant idea. It was it was really lovely. Um And they also have an outside courtyard area that's really pretty now that the weather's getting nicer. Um, It's a really pleasant place to go and have a look around. Um, Their permanent collections are really impressive. They have a fantastic fashion gallery um, which covers British costume from the early 18th century to the modern day. Um, And that's full of it's got original pieces and um, reproductions as well. And the more modern end of it, they um, uh, they renew the pieces quite regularly, I think. Um, But that's really fascinating just to walk through and see the the way that clothes have changed, because most of the time, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just get a sense of that from, you know, Jane Austen period dramas and that kind of thing. Um, You know, I'm okay on the Victorians quite good with that whole Jane Austen era but there's there's other periods of history where you know you might be a bit more a bit bit more hazy and it's quite fun just to go in and, and, and see how things evolved apart from anything else if you're a girl it will make you very glad that you no longer have to deal with that volume of underwear so many bits and pieces, it looks so uncomfortable, makes me very glad to be in the 21st century. But anyway, that aside, um, it's, uh, it's, it's just really lovely to, get, to, get, to go and see that. Um, the other thing they have, which you can access from their website, perhaps more useful for those of you not in London, um, is that they have a really fantastic knitting section um, at the VA. Apart from anything else, their collection, that they, they have um, some of the earliest examples of hand knitting. And um, they're also building an archive looking at regional knitting in the British Isles and Ireland. Um, you can also send in um, pictures of things that you've knitted as long as they're not um, as long as it's not a garment. So anything else you might have knitted, you can send in a photo of it and tell them a bit about it and they'll add it to their knitting database. So you can put yourself into a little piece of history there. Um, you can also share memories of how you learnt to knit in the first place and they'll add that to their website. Um, as I say, they're building up a, um, a database of regional knitting um, and, and traditions that are particular to certain areas of Britain and Ireland. Um And uh, they also have some patterns, you can look at some vintage patterns. Um, They've got some from the 1940s, uh, showing how uh, women on the home front can contribute to the war effort by knitting for troops. Um, So there's lots of really lovely things. They do also have some links, which I think is a valiant effort, really, from what you might think would be quite a traditional institution. They have a link to some knitting blogs and to some knitting podcasts. It won't come as a great surprise, Electric Sheep does not feature on this. At least not yet. Perhaps one day, I can but dream. But um, actually, having looked at some of the links, they just have um, a a few of them. And I think, at least with the podcasts, I found at least one that doesn't seem to be operating anymore. So I'm not sure how recent these links are. Um, But you never know, they might lead you to something that you haven't spotted before. So I just think it's quite nice that they do give quite a serious nod to knitting, On their website and generally in their collection. So that's always nice. Um, On at the moment, I can highly recommend is um, their hat exhibition. Um, It's a hat anthology by Stephen Jones, the famous milliner. Um, And it really is fantastic. It's on until the 31st of May um this is as it's one of their um uh, special exhibits it is one you have to pay to get into sadly but you can book your tickets in advance um and it really is a fantastic look at hats from every period and style and material you can possibly think of you'll be pleased to know there is a cabinet that is purely devoted to knitted hats a couple of which were quite impressive um but just generally it's a lot of fun to see some of them are really quite extraordinary um and obviously quite a few of them are stephen jones creation you know his own work but there's lots in there from all sorts of different designers or places and and period items as well as i said um and, uh, and it was great. I mean, when we went round, part of the fun is just seeing how everybody was picking out their favourite hat. You know, which one would you take home? And everybody had a, quite a strong opinion on these things, um, which is half the fun of looking at these, I think. But um, so as I say, that's on until the 31st of May. You can book tickets very easily in advance on their website, should you so wish. Um, and they do timed entry and things well sort of vaguely. I think it's within a 15 minute half hour window so it, it gets quite busy in there I have to say but um, I think if you're not going at the weekends it's not too bad um, and the other thing they have is that um, Stephen Jones has supplied uh, your very own pattern to create your own paper hat um, so you, you know if you can't afford a um, the usual um, Stephen Jones millinery then you can make your own from newspaper um, and uh, very fine it looks too. As well as Stephen Jones and his hats, uh, there are a few other things you might enjoy coming up in London in the next week or two. Um, the first one to tell you about is uh, an exhi- a, a photography exhibit at the National Theatre, um, James Revillius, an English eye, um, and it's his. It's part of his seventeen-year study of rural life in North Devon, which. Probably sounds rather dull, but actually um, the, the pictures um, I've seen so far look lovely. They're black and white images of life in the country um, in Devon, and um, they're really very beautiful. Um, and if memory serves, the National tend to have, you know, it's sort of one section of um, uh, the sort of public areas they have in the building um, will have various art displays or photography or um, whatever it may be, often connected to one of the shows that's on at the moment. But you can very easily pop in there, have a coffee and wander around to look at the photos usually. Um, So that's on at the moment and it's on until the middle of May by the look of it. Um, So if you find yourself down on the South Bank, um, worth a look I expect. Um, Another thing that caught my eye is uh, at the Museum of London. Um, Which I haven't been to for ages, but which really is quite extraordinary and does remind you, um, you know, how much stuff there is in London that we take for granted. One of the things I love about being in the East End or being near the city is there are some roads you can go down and think the Romans walked down here, or the Romans built this. Um, it just goes back so far. We slightly drown in history here. We tend to take it for granted, I think. We, we, we get a bit uh, complacent about it. But it is really quite impressive, some of it. So the Museum of London is brilliant for that. Um, but they're doing... Um, uh, one of their curators is giving a talk on Friday the 24th of April Um, from 3 to 3.40pm, so sadly I'll be in the office at that time, but if you can go. Um, And they're looking at uh, recently acquired fashion. Um, So they'll be talking about the fashion collection that they have in the Museum of London, which I think a bit like the V&A is a sort of historical retrospective. Um, But they acquire new things all the time at the museum, so this will be one of their curators talking about some of the things that they've recently taken on. Um, And then the other thing that caught my eye is um, Slow Down London, uh, which is coming very shortly. Um, This is part of the slow movement, which um, I think originally, or at least the sort of food side of it particularly, started in Italy. Um, And as the name suggests, it's all about just slowing down. Um, According to their website, Slow Down London is a new project to inspire Londoners to improve their lives by slowing down to do things well. Slow Down London will hold a campaign and festival from the 24th of April to the 4th of May, offering ideas and opportunities to help us challenge the cult of speed and appreciate the world around us. Sounds like a good plan to me and a plan that knitting very much fits into, it has to be said. Um, Their website has um, a whole events programme that you can look at for more details. Um, But they seem to have a whole host of things on offer, which sound great. Um, They're doing slow down London walks where you can explore some of the hidden green parts of the city. Um, They're also doing uh, urban gardening where you can do your own credit crunch salad. Um, there's going to be a four-day slow food market um, at the South Bank Centre. You can try Tai Chi yoga or meditation. You can dabble in pavement art. Um, and they're going to have various discussion events um, talking about um, slow travel Um, making time in our hectic lives Um, so I think there's going to be lots of fun events so well worth looking at their events program and seeing if there's anything that appeals and um, you know I think especially now that the weather has been so beautiful today I hope you've been able to enjoy the sunshine for a bit and uh, there is something to be said for stopping to smell the roses now and again so I hope you get the chance to take a look couple of other fun things i've spotted if you're looking for an alternative night out um there's uh something uh near to me i see no great surprise you can trust the the east end and uh, around hoxton way to um have something slightly more unusual on the cards um this is i'm not even sure if i'm saying it right uh karaoke um, which is karaoke but with ukulele's bear with me it gets better basically um as you may have seen uh karaoke where you're backed by a live band uh this is karaoke where you are backed by live performers but they're all on ukuleles um i think there's about 15 of them will accompany you um and uh apparently the music is is a range of the usual karaoke stuff there's a bit of disco some soft rock 80s pop classics and um everybody sings along and it just happens to be with ukuleles what what more could you want um it sounds fabulous to me i don't know about you i've i've got several friends who are karaoke crazy and um i think this would be a brilliant spin on, um, on, on a classic entertainment. Um, so this is on at the Underbelly in Hoxton Square on Thursday the uh, 23rd of April um, and um, it seems they also have a regular home um, at the Soho Review Bar on the third Thursday of each month um, but that sounds like quite a fun alternative to the usual karaoke. Then speaking of uh, skills that grandparents seem to be much better at than us, um, there's uh, the London Swing Cats Corner, um, which sounds a lot of fun. Um, Basically, it's it's a jam-style jitterbug contest each month, and the winning couple takes home a full jackpot of at least £100. Crazy money, people. Um, but fortunately, even if you're not competing, if you're not a jitterbug professional, um, they have beginners and intermediates classes until 9pm. So if you could go along early, then you can do some classes and learn a couple of basic moves. Um, lots of people who dress up in um, their wartime gear, so you can have some fun with your costume. And uh, this is at the um, uh, St. Aloysius Social Club in Phoenix Road, NW1. Um and uh, yes, it's a regular night, so if you've ever fancied doing a bit of jive, a bit of jitterbug, then go along and uh, I suspect there will be some serious enthusiasts there to show you how. And one last alternative evening to leave you with is Hunger Munger, which is the crafting evening hosted by the Bethnal Green Working Men's Club. Um, which is on Pollard Row in E2. Um, And every Sunday they do an evening session where you can make, paint, draw, sculpt, sew, knit, or just stick things together. Um, And they have live bands as well. Um, This coming Sunday they have Hexacon and Local Girl Saves Planet. So again, quite a fun alternative evening. Pop along and make some things. Um, Last week when I was talking about the Craft Gorilla Night, Um, at the beginning of May. Uh, And I think so far the Hoxton Knitting Group are quite keen on that, so we're probably all going to pop along. So if anybody wants to come and join us, feel free. Um, I think we're all going to be taking our knitting. Um, And at the moment, just by the by, if anybody has come looking for the Hoxton Knitting Group, um, we meet every Tuesday at 6 o'clock. Ordinarily, we've been meeting in Juneau on the Kingsland Road, which is incredibly knitter-friendly, and we are big fans of theirs. The only problem is they also show football, And when the football's on, you just, you can't knit, you can't hear, you can't really see what you're doing. It's a big disaster. Football, knitting, don't mix. Who knew? Um so last week we decamped to the spread eagle just a bit further up the road um and we may very well be there again so if in doubt check our group on ravelry and usually i try and twitter something if it if it moves but generally we're somewhere on that road we won't be going far um but do come find us we're we're there from uh, pretty much from about six o'clock every tuesday evening so if you would like to come along and um say hello to some east end knitters we would love to see you there it for this week. Uh, as ever, I'll be pushing all the links to websites, places and events will go up on the Electric Sheep blog so you can find them there. And thanks very much for listening.